Bell Hooks, one of the greatest thinkers of our time, recently passed away, leaving us to explore her legacy and its impact on our intersections of Black womanhood. Our friend and activist Diamond Styles joins me this week to discuss Black Academia, the reality TV icon Nene Leakes of all people, and to reflect on Insecure and an era of television that will be referenced for years to come. It's Tea with Queen and Jay. Drink up. How you doing, Diamond? I am good. I am good. I feel amazing. Good. Why do you feel so amazing? That's just what it is? Well, no, I've been like self-caring because this is the anniversary of my mom passing away this week. She passed away on the 18th of um, December in 2020. So this is the anniversary. But because I knew this has been coming up, I I really did all my normal self-care stuff but really all in one week i usually don't do it all in one week because i can't right and afford it but i got a cute Mm -hmm. little check from the university of um Mm. british victoria for um, (laughs) trans awareness week you know so i was like "Ah, i can afford it so i got my feet done i got um a massage i did um i went to the sauna um and i just have done been doing like just tons of spiritual baths and just stuff that make that makes yes. me personally feel good so yeah i feel great i feel I amazing i love that i love that just first of all hi everybody hey. uh, diamond is joining us <laughs> yay the homie diamond black trans activist general baddie principal host of marsh's plate podcast is joining us this week naima is uh feeling a little bit under the weather so diamond has agreed to join me in doing what i think might be the final episode of 2021 good fucking riddance (laughs) the fuck (laughs) what the fuck it has been crazy do you think it was worse than 2020 or I just dragged. You know what it is? We didn't think things could get any worse than 2020. <laughs> and I feel like 2021, it might not have been as bad, but I think we thought it was going to be so much better. Yeah. You know, I felt like the, the pandemic popped off. These was like two twin, like Bebop yes. and Rocksteady weren't our ass out. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So... Yeah, I think that, I think the shock that, oh shit, this year is still whack. 2021 is still being whack. I think the shock of that made it feel like maybe it was worse than 2020. But what a fucking year. Anyway, welcome to Tea with Queen and Jay. We are usually two womanist race nerds talking shit over tea, but Diamond is here helping us dismantle white supremacist patriarchal capitalism one episode at a time. My name is Jay. My name is Diamond, and I'm a womanist gender nerd. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you. You are. You is. You is. And um, sometimes we're Tea with Queen and Jay. Today we are Tea with Diamond and Jay. So thank you again, Diamond, for joining me. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Hope uh, Nima gets better real soon. Yes, definitely, Queen. Please get better. Please get better. If you want to follow the conversation being had on this here podcast, please use the hashtag Tea with QJ on Twitter and Instagram. Also use the hashtag pod in that helps other folks who follow that hashtag who fuck with black podcasts or podcasts in general, lets them know that you are listening to Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. You can also tweet us at Tea with QJ and we want to hear from you. So send us your T mail at Tea with Queen and Jay at gmail.com. 
com. Every week we pour libations for the people, places, and things giving us black ass, black joy. Diamond, what are you pouring libations for this week? I am pouring libations for all the freaking amazing shows that I'm watching, like Witcher yes. and Wheel of Time. And I'm just, I'm just so amazed by them. They are really doing a great job in storytelling. And yeah, they have been such a comfort along with the self-care. Lovely. Did you watch the first season of Witcher before or are you binging it all now? No, I watched the first season. I've been waiting excitingly <laughs> for it to come out. And I actually didn't follow when the date it was going to come. So I okay. randomly cut on Netflix and it said, oh, new seasons, new episodes. Nice. I was like, oh, I'm about to binge this before I go. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to watch it now. Now that I heard you say it, I'm going to watch it. Because I've been hearing it's good. I've been hearing it's a thing to watch. You know, I, I wasn't certain. But I trust your I trust yeah. your recommendation. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. What are you libating? I am going to pour libations for all of you who survived 20 fucking 21, yo. Everybody who thrived. Everybody who feels like all they did was stay alive. Like, we fucking did it. You did enough. Woo! You're wonderful. Yes. Thank fucking God. Thank whoever you thank. The energy, the universe, whatever it is. Thank yourself. We fucking did it. We fucking did it. Boom. <laughs> we fucking did it. You did enough. You did enough. And here we are. So cheers to you. And uh, here's to 2022, right? Is that what it's going to be? That's wild. That's what it's going to be. We can do this. We can. It's going to be better. Mm -hmm. We think. I mean, it has no other choice, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aren't we in the pits of hell? Oh, <laughs> are we God. in the pits? <laughs> Right. <laughs> we are. We are right. We are in the pit. This is the pit. You're fucking right. You know, you're right. Oh, man. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. Yeah. So libations to everybody and cheers to a better 2022 or or we'll just survive again. And, and that'll be that'll be what it is. That'll be what it is. Yep. If you would like to support this podcast, we run on your support. So there's two ways to financially support us. You can donate at teawithqueenandj.com. Click the community tab and subscribe on Patreon for $2 a month or send us any amount of money via PayPal. You can also subscribe at any amount on Patreon. We will take it and appreciate it. And everyone has access to the same benefits. So subscribe you join us you can also follow us on your favorite podcast app share this podcast on social media tell a friend about us rate and review us on apple Podcasts. we read all of those or wherever you listen all of that helps grow tea with queen and Jay. we also have donation libations this week Lakeisha hit us on the PayPal and Lakeisha says, what's up, y'all? I wanted to up my Patreon donation from $2 a month and was looking for a $5 tier, but I don't think that's an option, right? I didn't see it. Yeah, so we actually, I think we have a $2 tier and a $15 tier. Everyone has access to the same stuff. So we don't have a $5 tier, but you can always change your monthly amount to whatever you want it to be. Lakeisha goes on to say, so I'll stay at $2 and give the rest here on PayPal. Thank you so much, Lakeisha. And Lakeisha, just says thank you for your content your thoughts laughs and truths thank you so much we appreciate you in terms of our patreon uh, we did record an episode for the patreon that will be up this week so thank you again to all our patreon subscribers and thanks to everybody who hits us up on 
the PayPal. Diamond. Yes. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready to get into the motherfucking show? Let's get into this bitch. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, 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 all right. All right, Diamond, what kind of tea are you drinking? Are you drinking tea? What you got over there? I am not drinking tea. I am drinking some ocean spray cran apple. (laughs) And it's good as hell. Okay. Do you remember the Cosby Show cran apple episode? No. Did you watch all of the Cosby Show? (laughs) Not all of them. Mm -mm. Uh, Okay. All right. Just the fun ones. I know the Cosby Show like the back of my hand. I've watched... (laughs) All of them multiple times. And it's a shame I won't get to talk about it anymore. But I can't not mention the Cran Apple episode. One of the few episodes where they like tackled class and tackled like that they had more perhaps than other black folks. Right. And what's his name? Alan Payne was there. And he was like, this looks like a house that got Cran Apple in the fridge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> where you just have extra juices. Right. But anyway, so... You have cran. You you live in a house that has cran apple. That's an extra juice. You, know, you have your basics. Juice. You have your water. You have your orange juice. You have maybe some kind of milk. Once you start veering into like cran apple, a little spritzer. You know those are special. Those are special. Is that, I don't know if that's right now. I think that was appropriate in that time period. But I think now yes. it's like kombucha. <laughs> True, I agree. Cold press, cold press, green right. drinks. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. You're right. You're right. The other flavors of drink have become more common. Yeah. You're right. Kombucha, anything cold press, anything juice press, any smoothie that comes in a bottle, right. any delivery services. No, you're All right. that. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. okay. Anything okay. with high fructose corn syrup, uh, they want to give it to us. Facts. <laughs> These are facts. These are facts. These are facts. I actually had a hot cocoa. Earlier, this is like holiday and I'm staying with my mom and my mom been drinking hot cocoa like it's an alcoholic beverage at night. I'm like, what are you having that mug? Oh, it's my cocoa. <laughs> Every night she's drinking her cocoa. Is it a special so kind she... or is it like the... Oh, no, it's... it's just regular ass Swiss Miss powder. Yeah. Yes, that's it. With yeah. the, little, with the little, little balls of marshmallow. The little, yep, the little uh, artificial uh, marshmallow balls <laughs> that expand. Whatever they are that expand. <laughs> yeah, I've been delighting in that. That shit is cozy at night. It really is. So that's what I'm having instead of tea this week. And what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, and hers. What's yours? My pronouns are she, her, they, them. And separate from my pronouns, I am not a lady. (laughs) I love that. I say when you say that, I repeat it just to repeat it. Even though I am a lady, I repeat I'm not a lady when you say it. I listen. I love that. I sing I sing the intro to music to Marsha's Plate every week. Yeah. You know? And sometimes, usually, most podcasts, I'll skip through. And so sometimes I'll be ready to skip through. I'll be like, no, I need this. I need this. It's <laughs> it a will warm be hug, all right. <laughs> Yes, I need that fucking intro music. All right. And what are you affirming for yourself this week? I am affirming that 2022 will be better Better, 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 better than 2021 by tenfold. I deserve it. I work hard and I want more (laughs) from the universe. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. What about you? I am going to affirm the effective use of my time without stress 
or strain to progress in all tasks and projects with excellence. Because I have a lot to do. Even though we're on break, I have stuff to do and I don't want to feel anxious about it. I don't want to stress out about it. I want to do it at my own pace and I want it all to get done. Whatever all of it is, I want that shit to get done. Yeah. I feel like it is, yo. I feel like it is. I feel like it is. It will be. Yes, yes. So we, re- I wish I could see Diamond Dance. So we recently um, experienced the loss of Black feminist scholar Bell Hooks, leader, academic, general, bad bitch, and a major influence on a lot of us dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, or rather imperialist white supremacist heteropatriarchy, as Bell Hooks coined the term. And refer to it. Yeah, we stand on her work. Without bell hooks, there is no us. And so I wanted to kind of reflect on Diamond. What is your first memory of bell hooks? Ah, uh, um, my first memory is reading her book "Ain't I a Woman" in high school. Um, my English. Oh, was it assigned? It was not assigned. So what okay. was assigned was I was my English teacher, Miss Mullen. Muller or Mullen? I can't remember her name. She's a white woman. She was going against the grain and teaching us, letting us read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And so when we were able to read it, because they were trying to get her to not read it, some of the parents, mm. but that she fought for it and actually won. But when they, they stopped us from doing it for like a couple of weeks, and then when she fought, then we got to restart again. In that mm. couple of weeks, I told her that I freaking love this book. This is this was my introduction to Toni Morrison as well. And she was like, oh, well, you mm-hmm. probably would like these books too. And she gave me a white woman, red hair, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> really performative. But, you know, she gave me right. um, Ain't I a Woman, Beloved, and Sula. Sula by Toni oh, Morrison. Wow. So Ain't I, Ain't I a Woman came out in my birthday year, 1981. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is in high school. And I read it and I was like, whoa. I'm I'm in high school, but this is like shaking some things, and I and I wouldn't come to actually really really grasp it until I was in my late twenties. But in mm-hmm. high school, it did plant some seeds that was like, oh, that I could always refer to, like, oh, this is what Bell Hooks was talking about. I didn't grasp it right. then, but this is what she's talking about. And so in that moment, that's that's my earliest memory of Bell Hooks. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So my earliest memory is, uh, I don't know who brought it in the house, but there was a calendar. It was for us. It was for my bedroom. So me and my siblings, but it was a calendar of like important black, I believe it was women. I think they were all, I think it was a full calendar of black women, like leaders within our community. And I remember Betty Shabazz, Toni Morrison, Bell Hooks, and I would look to see anybody who I didn't know who it was. I feel like I was um like junior high school age, so like anywhere between like 12 and then 14 is like high school. So I would say I would say like 12 to 14. And anyone who I didn't know who they were, I would look up to see, you know, who who's that person. And it always stuck with me that she lowercased her name that was spelled like she didn't capitalize the first letter in her name. So I remembered her from that. And outside of, I believe I read some of her poetry, but outside of that, I didn't really, I was not confronted with her work 
in school. I didn't, I don't think I took any women's studies classes in university, in college. I don't, I think most of my classes that were not like general, you know, English and within my track, which was like human and organizational development, like people in business and shit. Yeah, it was all like black studies. So I really did not confront much of her work. And I think for me, as like the work that we do here on this podcast and kind of who Queen and I are, are street feminists. We are street womanists. The way that we have come to this, like we didn't discover our blackness or our womanness through academia. So my experience with Bell Hooks is knowing that she exists and knowing of, I think, others' experience with her or listening to her give talks or listening to her on a podcast. And so that was mostly my engagement with her and hearing her refer to herself as one of the greatest thinkers of our time, like as a black woman, like saying that out loud. I think the most ways in which I have encountered her is as a popular figure, but there's no way that we come to the work that we do without her existing in the world. Like the people that I have been influenced by have been influenced by Bell Hooks. There's nothing that we do here that we could have done if she did not exist. Um, And so, yeah. And so I think that's, those are my earliest memories of her and her impact on me, I guess, and what I do here, what we do here. And I think that's beautiful to say because it's important for us to understand that that we are learning as Black people. We are learning about politics. We are learning about social work. We are learning about so many things outside mm-hmm. of academia. And that right. learning is actually just as important as well. And it, it, it colors mm-hmm. how we come to the work, the sensitivity that we come to the work, the, you know, just how we look at the perspective of how we look at things and the nuances of it's going to be totally different than somebody who came to the work through academia. Both of them are important, right? but Right. You know, it's important to um, know that because even me, I, I I didn't feel like I would because I was, you know, assigned male at birth. I didn't feel like I was a part of the feminist movement until mm. shit till years later, because I was mm-hmm. not, quote unquote, a born female. I didn't feel right. like I was anywhere out of I was anywhere in that circle of people. And so it wasn't until I got older and realized that my whole life has been a journey through a different um, through a different path. To break Mm -hmm. down the same patriarchy that a cisgender girl would just from a different path. Like, you know, mine Mm -hmm. just was coming from you were born a male. You're supposed to be doing it like this. And I was breaking that curse. And then where a a signed female person at birth is breaking it through, you know, through the curse that that comes with being a signed female at birth. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't until I got older like I said, in, in high school, um, in, in junior high, I didn't think of it like that. I didn't think I was a part of that movement at all. And right. so coming to it and understanding this is what Bell Hooks was talking about. Right. I honestly, I didn't feel like, because growing up with parents who were talking about Blackness all the time, I would say, admittedly, I didn't, I grew up in a patriarchal environment, even though my dad was not in the home much of the time, like it was still, there can be no man in your house and it still be a patriarchal environment. So we grew up steeped in that brand of blackness. And so the tools that I learned that allowed me to be and think as a free black woman 
were tools that I used in like what I was told about being a black person. I made the decision personally that this should be applied to my feminist, my womanhood, my girlhood as well. And I'm living and I'm existing and it's not being applied to that. And so I'm going to use these tools that my parents gave me and apply them to my liberation as a free girl. And I'm knowing to do this because I'm experiencing in my daily life within my family unit, within my experience within, I grew up in a black church. So within my experience there, I'm experiencing this kind of oppression that I can recognize because you taught me to recognize being oppressed as a black person. And in many of my experiences, I'm experiencing this oppression from people who say they love me because I am a girl, you know? And so I didn't learn to be feminist or of these theories in school. I learned it just from existing and suffering in the ways in which I was told I would suffer just for being a black person in this very black male centric blackness, Mm. you know what I'm saying? And so... When you talk about feeling like you weren't a part of feminism, I didn't feel that I wasn't included in feminism until I started to read the ways in which some academic feminists talked about those who were not versed in academia. You know what I'm saying? Those who were not confronting or reading heavily black feminist theory or feminist theory period. I, I, I always felt when I understood that feminism existed, I was like, oh, it's a given that I'm a part of this. You know, what I mean? and a part of that, of course, is my cis, cis privilege. But I felt like, oh, it's a given that I'm a part of this. And then the more that I read and the more that I learned, it was like, do academics realize the shit that they're academing about is everyday real life shit? Like if I don't exist, if you can't study me, and you can't study black women who came before us, like us. If you can't study this, then this academia shit doesn't exist. Don't fucking exist. Yeah. And sometimes I will hear people who confront feminism through academia talk about our elders and ancestors like, oh, they didn't even know that they were feminists. Like, that's a, that's, these are theories and ideas. They don't need to know that to live that, to do that, to be that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I do feel like, There are ways and times and situations in which academia can be so dismissive of those that it studies and the foundation for which like everyday people build the foundation for the shit that folks theorize about. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think that there is often like a a very, for a lot of folks, and I know there are people who are trying to break this down and Bell Hooks kind of talked about shifting away from academia because of this, but there are often such hard lines between street thought and what's happening within the halls of academia. You know what I'm saying? And me coming from, I come from juke joint Mississippi motherfuckers. And Mm -hmm. so like don't have any is nowhere near connected to academia. So I had no other choice but to start my journey in understanding those things and understanding those intersectionality as you know Kimberly Pritchard talks about understanding them concepts, those type of concepts. And I think it's super, super affirming that you said that you as a child you understand I'm gonna take these tools and apply it to this because that is what Polly Murray did when Polly Murray Mm -hmm. was all the rights that we have now when they were 
trying laying the foundation of Thurgood Marshall and laying the foundation of you know um Ruth Bader Ginsburg that's literally what (laughs) she was saying like Mm -hmm. they were saying they were trying to use the tools that I know that is working in this spot and how can we apply it to this spot and that led to many of the rights that we have now and so for me I understood as soon as I got, now I never got introduced to bell hooks in academia. Bell hooks came Mm -hmm. through, you know, just different forms of like, I remember I was in a a children theater when I was younger and the, you know, it was woke pan-African women that was running it. And so I got, Mm -hmm. I got, I heard about her from them after I heard about it from my teacher. It was never brought to me in my HBCU. I, nobody Mm -hmm. ever brought up bell hooks while I was in school first of all they were too busy trying to wear me out for being trans (laughs) to get me out but Mm -hmm. but they definitely in in the class in in civics class and whatever classes I took I never got information about bell hooks so when I continued to be reintroduced to her from different various avenues I understood that the same thing that she's talking about is what my great-grandmother was talking about when she was leaving my uncle who was beating her Mm -hmm. butt in 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 um uh, being married to him and being forced to be married to not forced to be married to him but forced to mm-hmm. stay with him just because right. I'm a woman and I'm stuck in this in this country rural Mississippi and you think I don't have any other options and now I got these two babies by you and I'm and the culture is telling me I'm supposed to be stuck in this house with this abusive man because I can't get mm-hmm. credit cards I can't get bank accounts without him I can't do any of this this is not mm-hmm. right and I'm gonna pick up my bags and move to Indianapolis Indiana and that right. literally is an origin story of Diamond Styles so these are Mm-hmm. These she didn't understand. She may not have the academic language to talk about these things, mm-hmm. but she was. These are feminist ideals. Th- this is patriarchal ideas. I'm sorry that she was trying to break. That she knew this right. is oppressing me. I'm not okay with mm-hmm. this. And so she mm-hmm. moved to Indianapolis. And so those type of things, I realized that oh, this is what grandma was. Great grandma was fighting against. This is what mm-hmm. this was. This was the problem. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, yeah. and I apply that to my life. Absolutely. That's super important. And of course, throughout our work on this podcast and dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, like, and let me also say that Queen is a lot more well read in terms of literature and study than I am, just because I am a slow reader and just did not read as much or as fast. And so I definitely read now and I read more like academic text and shit like that now. But I will say like, that's that's not something that I was just doing or just like came easy to me or natural to me. Like a lot of our theory and our work as womanist race nerds came from being the type of thinkers that we are, being the type of street feminists that we are, or womanists, or however you want to engage with that. But yeah, so I thought it was it was interesting kind of seeing the way that people reflected on her work and their experience with her work in this, and you know, in light of her passing. So that's been interesting. And when you, when you do read, do you Mm -hmm. do what I always find, if I'm reading something that I deem more intellectual than I am Mm -hmm. it for me, when I read it, I'm like, Oh, the basic concept and theory of this, I already knew this. It's something that I already knew because I live it. But you just are brilliant enough to have the amazing language. You have, you have, you have mastered the master's tools Mm -hmm. in a way to Mm -hmm. explain the theory that I already know and live. You are, the brilliance is that you have given the language for me to be able to speak it on an academic level. But what Mm -hmm. you're, what you're telling me isn't actually necessarily teaching me anything that I don't already know. It's just, you got the language. 
Facts. And that is a, that is a frequent experience. We started saying white supremacist patriarchal capitalism on this podcast, for me at least. I started saying that on this podcast before I was even aware of bell hooks introducing that language into academia so we started using that language here because it made sense in what we were talking about right and i know that there are people who may be newer to this podcast who think that that's a direct line from bell hooks even though it is right so we don't come to that if bell hooks doesn't exist in the world and hasn't already infused the world society and our influences with this thinking and with this thought but we came to white supremacist patriarchal capitalism because that made sense for the shit that we were talking about. You know what I'm saying? And then it was like, oh, yes, Bell Hooks has already introduced this language into the lexicon. And so, of course, we are influenced by the work of Bell Hooks and we don't exist without her. But we are not like we're not black feminist academics. We're not black academic. We're not academic niggas. You know what I'm saying? And there's no shade or disrespect to that. We frequently follow the work at this stage, of course, of black academics like we do we appreciate their work and to your point they all they put a lot of words to the things that we are trying to say when we do presentations we of course draw on and highlight the work of bell hooks and other black academics you know what i'm saying but i just to me it just feels important to say that there are thinkers there are progressive people there are movers and shakers whose work is not founded in academia who did not discover their blackness in the halls of academia who did not discover their liberated feminism their womanism within the halls of academia you know yeah did you watch so of course i have been consuming more bell hooks since her passing did you watch that talk that she did with um laverne cox at the new school I did. I did. I did. I have watched I've watched all videos on Bell Hooks, but the particularly mm-hmm. the new school one, she has one with um um Cornell West, one with Janet Mock, one with Laverne, one with um even Gloria Steinem, um mm-hmm. Melissa Harris Perry. She has tons of them. Right. And so I've watched all of them, but that one was particularly interesting with Laverne Cox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so people, people in light of her passing have kind of been bringing, of course, all the wonderful things about Bell Hooks, of course, but you cannot, as somebody seeking to dismantle systems, you can't bring up those things without also acknowledging her criticisms of Beyonce, her criticisms of, I don't know that I would call it a criticism, honestly, after watching their conversation, but it's a critique of our presentation as Black women or a certain glamorous, high femme, high glamour presentation of the Beyonce's of the world, Laverne Cox of the world. That that image of femme, that very specific and particular image of femme, Bell Hooks was vocally... I don't know if I want to say that she spoke out against, but it was a critique of that image and what is the source or the origins of that image. But I did want to ask you what you thought of it. The quote from Bell Hooks during her conversation with Laverne Cox. I mean, one one of the, the issues I think that many people have with trans women is the, the sense of a traditional femininity, um, being called out and and reveled in the, a, a femininity that many people, many feminist women feel like, oh, we've been trying to get away from that. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
I love that you brought that up. I think the important thing to remember for me is that a lot of trans women do not embrace this kind of femininity. A lot of trans women, um, you know, don't wear high heels and don't wear makeup and, and feel oppressed by that. My choice is to wear, you know, to all this pumpish show business. Um, I'm in show business, but some of it is just about what I find aesthetically pleasing for myself, trying to, you know, I've had, I've gone through lots of phases where I've had braids and where I've like, you know, been sort of androgynous, with this very sort of androgynous phase. Um, and this is where I feel empowered, ironically, and comfortable. Um, I think that it's important to to note that all trans women are not embracing this. That this trans woman does, and this trans woman feels empowered by this. Laverne Cox gives to me what I think is a really good response. We're going to put the link to this in the show notes. She basically, to me, affirms that women should be able to present in any way that they want. And this is the presentation that makes me feel she says this is where i feel empowered ironically and comfortable and of course i think that that can of course be interrogated because we don't exist outside of white supremacy like we're all influenced by it so if you have a proclivity or a if you enjoy wearing blonde hair or looking in these ways that people associate with whiteness can we completely separate that from the influence of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism you know, what did you think about that dialogue? I thought the dialogue was freaking amazing. I know that some mm-hmm. of the community was like, oh, Bell Hooks is transphobic for Af- that's a transphobic question. And I mm-hmm. did not take it like that at all. I took it as this is the kind of conversations that I expect. This is the type mm-hmm. of conversations that I want to have when we are when we when I'm when I'm watching uh, a juggernaut in feminism like Bell Hooks talk to uh, a juggernaut in trans media right now, um, Laverne Cox. These are the type of things and ideas that I want to interrogate. I think that this was a question. This was not a um, a call out to me at all. Mm-hmm. When she when Bell Hooks asked that question, it was it was yo this this is a great question. This is a question that we can explore. And I I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like she was you know I even when she talked when she critiques Beyonce's image it's 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 asking how how why is Beyonce the the right now the queen of the pop world why. Mm-hmm. Even in the past, when she talked about how, you know, she tried to go natural at one point, but she still settled on this blonde, flowy, high film mm-hmm. look. How, uh, you know, why is that the thing that that I have to be to be successful? Why is Laverne's blonde wigs? Why are you comfortable? Why are you empowered by that particular image of yourself? And so for mm-hmm. me, you have to question that. I'm not saying that you don't, you're not supposed to like it. But when we are tra- trying to dismantle these systems, re- particularly systems revolving beauty standards, when we are co- when we're coming a- up against the system, particularly in the time right now, we have mm-hmm. to critique those things. And as trans women, when we are coming into our identities, we are just as informed by how we present to the world. By the, I mean, just in how we present to the world is informed just as much by the culture of white supremacy, the culture of, you know, patriarchy as anybody else living in this world. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if we're not critiquing that, how are we dismantling that system and those, those influence within ourselves? And I think she was just asking the question. And while I, while 
I appreciate Laverne's answer. It was okay to a certain extent, but it didn't go as deep as I wanted her to go either. It was just, mm-hmm. oh, well, all trans women, this is how I, this is how I feel comfortable. This is how I feel empowered. You didn't go into your influence on how you got there. I want to know why right. do, are you comfortable there? I want right. to know why are you empowered there? And so there's a reason. Mm-hmm. And she just taught, she just, one of the things she said was, this is how, this is how my trans womanhood is presented. This is not how all trans womanhood mm-hmm. is presented, which mm-hmm. was a powerful statement because we all are yeah. different, but you know, I think she could have went a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I feel what you're saying. I do feel what you're saying. And I didn't, I will say coming to that video and that talk after seeing people the way they described it it did not feel to me as transphobic as it was presented in some of the criticisms but i did see i did see how people could have interpreted it as transphobic and i do think i don't know how to separate looking at a light skin i don't know 4a i don't know her hair texture but it's not super kinky bell hooks i don't know how to separate the image of Bell Hooks, right? Even though she's not high glam, there are still things about her that make her appearance more palatable for a lot of people, right? Being lighter skinned, not having the kinkiest of hair textures. I don't know how to separate that from her question. Like, I, I feel like her, the intent of her question was black woman to black woman, how do you reconcile this image? I don't know how to separate Bell Hooks' appearance and presentation And conversely to dark-skinned Laverne Cox, I don't know how to separate their appearance from that question. And so I don't know, I don't know if there's a a better way that she could have asked that or could have interrogated that. But I, I just know that when watching that, it was hard for me not to think about those dynamics. You know what I'm saying? I think so. That's a good trick critique. I don't know, mm-hmm. but some of the, the things you just named, could she control them? The thing that she was talking about with um, Laverne, I, I, she, Laverne was, ma- these are choices. So these are choices that Laverne made, but the world that Laverne grew up being a woman in, in terms of the way that she experienced the world is not the way that Bell Hooks has or would have ever experienced the world because Bell Hooks walked around in the world as a lighter skinned mm. black woman with a loose hair texture. You so know the what pressures I'm are not going to so, ever be the same. Right, right. So like the world that she lives in is not the world, whether Laverne Cox was, you know, transness aside, as a darker skinned black woman, it's not the same world. So for me... I don't know that the question, it did make me uncomfortable on, on a on a trans thinking level, on a you know black level, on a colorist level. It made me uncomfortable in all those ways. I don't know that I would call it transphobic or colorist, but they were those things were hard for me to separate from that dialogue. Perhaps if she were talking to someone of her similar complexion, maybe I would feel differently about it. I just feel like to me, as lighter skinned people, we always have to think about those dynamics like even when like I grew up of course like oh you know you shouldn't bleach your skin and this that or whatever but that's not something that I've ever had to consider think about you know consider yeah and and the brand of animosity that I've experienced as a black woman is going to be different than the brand of animosity that darker skinned black women have experienced so it did make me think about that because she's not just talking to a black trans woman she's talking to talking to a dark skinned black trans woman so I thought about that, but I did think, and this goes back to kind of what I was saying about like 
like bad questions or triggering questions. I talked about this on an earlier episode wherein like I feel like a lot of us and I, I call out myself for this, like are triggered by questions that we should be able to ask each other. Like I feel like there are certain problematic questions that we should be able to ask each other if we are seeking freedom and liberation. Like somebody should be able to ask, yo, why are you so free? Right. And often that question is going to come out in wild problematic ways. You know what I'm saying? And and to me, that question is a part of that, like, why are you so free? Or like, why do you think you can do this thing? And those are problematic questions. But if we don't ask them, because there are lots of us that feel problematic things on the inside and are still confronting a lot of oppression on the inside that we know is problematic to say out loud, but we still have these feelings that are heavily influenced and beliefs that are heavily influenced by white supremacist patriarchal capitalism that we don't necessarily confront or share in confronting with other people Mm. because we're supposed to be too woke to say these things to each other out loud. And we should be able to ask each other, why are you so free? Or why are you doing that thing that I think is problematic? Why is it not problematic to you? So it did, the question did make me feel weird, but I felt like a bell hooks should be able to ask that question. She was also, she's a lot older than, was a lot older than Laverne Cox. We should be able to have these intergenerational conversations. Somebody's going to ask a problematic question. And I feel like we should be, more comfortable with that shit. You know what I'm saying? And when you ask those questions, other conversations are going to grow. Look, you just had a whole deep conversation about colorism and comparing Mm -hmm. just based on that question happening. And, you know, and then we can go into critiques about what, um, what freedom and what, what privilege look like. Like when we think about that question, her asking that question to Laverne and then, then frame it in the sense of this is what we've been fighting against yeah but this is also in this day and age what protects me and gives me some of the access for me to be free adhering to some of these ideas in the same way you know when we think about we just talk about academia when people Mm -hmm. you know i'm saying it it was a time when that was the way you got out of the strickening horrible poverty um or Mm -hmm. strickening horrible um whatever (laughs) that you were going through as a black person going and getting that academia and being this exquisite excellent um, speaker and orator and whatever you did had to be on such a peak level that it was important for us to play that role to get out of some of the situations that we were in. Now, is that, does that, um, that strictness apply to today? Maybe not to the same level, but at one point we understood that that needed to be done. And so as a Mm -hmm. trans woman, sometimes I can understand, I have to look a certain way because how people treat me is, of, is based on how I look. And sometimes, right. sometimes the, 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 um, and this may be problematic, but sometimes that safety value is more mm-hmm. important to me than these movements that you want me to be a part of. Right. So maybe mm-hmm. not for me, cause you know, I, I don't work. I, I got the privileges of some things working mm-hmm. in my favor and right. some, you know, so I can look at things and be like, Hmm, I don't know if I would do that, but I also, you know, I can't speak mm-hmm. from another person who might find something else being more important to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Facts. Facts. Well, let's take a break. That was excellent. Thank you so much for talking to me about Bell Hooks. I knew that you would have awesome and deep things to say. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, I think we're just going to talk about silly shit, yo. Let's okay. get fucking silly. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to Tea with Queen and Jay. This is a black-ass womanist race nerd podcast dedicated to dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. Yes, to quote Bell Hooks, we have to constantly critique imperialist white supremacist patriarchal culture because it is normalized by mass media and rendered unproblematic. Here at Tea with Queen and Jay podcast, we are dedicated to that critique and promoting, highlighting, and introducing alternate ways of existing and resisting the fuck shit that is oppressive systems. Through the podcast, events, trainings, and panels, we rely on your support to sustain this work. Sustainability. <laughs> That's important. There are a few ways that you can support Tea with Queen and Jay. You can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's a big help, and it lets people know that we are current and people like what we do here. That's right. You can tell all your favorite people about us. You can also give us your money. Give it to us. There are two ways to donate. Two. You can go to our website, teawithqueenandjay.com. Slide down on our homepage and there's where we have two options. Two. Our first option is our PayPal option and that is where you can give however much you want. And we have our Patreon option and that's where we're asking for a little bit more commitment. Just $2 a month. $2. You can give more or less, but that is up to you. All of our patrons have access to one bonus episode a month and all previous bonus episodes. Another great way to support Team with Queen and Jay is to become a sponsor. If you would like to sponsor us, if you'd like to hear your ad on Team with Queen and Jay podcast or see it on social media, email us at teawithqueenandjay at gmail.com. We also do trainings. You can hire us to speak at your school or organization about white supremacist, patriarchal capitalism, dismantling white supremacy in the workplace, womanism, black feminism, podcasting, some other shit you've heard us discuss on the podcast, or if you'd like us to do a COVID safe live show or consult you or your team, send us your t-mail at teawithqueenandj.com. Thank you so much for fucking with us. Thank you so much for all the support. Hey, black women. Hey, black femmes. Hey, black people. All right, 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 all right. And we're black. All right. All the time. Oh, you said it. I wasn't sure if you was going to do it. Okay. All right. (laughs) We are back. And let's get silly. So I asked Diamond if she would come be on the show with me. And if it was anything she wanted to talk about that she don't usually talk about on her show, whatever. And she mentioned Nene Leakes. We haven't talked about Nene on the podcast for a really long time. Nene of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I haven't watched that show. I watched like the earlier seasons, but I haven't been in it. I listened to the gossip because it continues to be entertaining, but right. I haven't been in it for a minute. Have you have you watched the show? No, you don't need it's so entertaining online, people's response to everything that you yes. don't even need to watch the show. <laughs> you don't need to be involved. You don't. You don't. You do. So what is Nene up to now? What's going on? So you if you've been following the interwebs, her husband passed away on September first, right. and they buried him a week later, like around the seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth. And you know, her husband Greg. And, you know, that was in September. But recently, in the past two weeks, she has been pictured and seen, cuddled up, bait up, going on dates, going out, holding hands with a new man. And this ain't even a year. She just barely three months. (laughs) So, 
So for context, because we don't know when you're listening to this for context, right? So September and right now we are in the holiday season of 2021, right? So what we're talking about two and a half months, three months? Yeah, three months. November. Yeah, so three months. I When you said September, because I remember him passing away, if you had told me it had been a year, if you had told me it was last September, I would have believed that because pandemic time moves both slow and mad fast at the same time. That feels like a year ago to me. That specific fact, that specific incident feels like it happened so So long long ago. ago. And so part of me is wondering, like, maybe pandemic time is moving slow for her too. Like, maybe it feels like it's been a year for her. You know, I don't know. So she's been seen with a new man. I saw the picture. He's cute enough. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? He looks looks all right He's to me. Cute. He looks good. Older man looks like somebody her age. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He looks age appropriate, quote unquote, age appropriate. They're holding hands. So she's getting dragged for this. Yeah. Being seen with another man. Okay. Yes. And and people are like, it ain't even been three months. And da 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 da. And I felt like. This, y'all are really mad at this lady moving on. Her husband is mm-hmm. dead, dead, mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. done. And mm-hmm. you know, and y'all are really mad at this lady moving on. Now, look, I know for me, I know you are a part of a show. So when you become a part of this reality show and mm-hmm. you you put yourself out there, people is gonna mm-hmm. be in your business. Yeah, <laughs> this is, is what it's gonna be. And they're mm-hmm. going to judge you. And so mm-hmm. what I wanted to know is like, when do you feel like it's a time limit? Like, when do you feel like is an appropriate time limit to chill and yeah. to mourn or whatever? I feel like that should be a really specific thing that has to do with like your family and your close ones and loved ones and how you feel also about like his loved ones or their, your partner's loved ones or whatever. And what impact you think that might have on the people who matter in your life. You know what I'm saying? And so Nene might already know they might have already she might have been dating this man before he passed away like who like we don't know any of this we don't know the dynamics of their relationship in his final months or years of life you know what I'm saying so like to me I don't think that there should be a time limit necessarily I think of course different people have a different understanding of what that should look like so of course if you're in the public eye However soon it is, it's going to be too soon for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But like, I think I I can understand in the court of public opinion, whether it should be there or not is one thing. But I can understand why three months might feel too soon for some people. But I also feel like, you know, different cultures have different periods of time. And some cultures are like, you never supposed to remarry. And like, everybody has a different understanding of how this shit should work. She lost her husband. I think it is problematic to determine how somebody else should be grieving and whether they cry or whether they put a post on Instagram or social media, or whether they, you know what I'm saying? Like, short of appearing like you actually murdered the person, like whatever you do to grieve, that should really be your own thing. Grieving is complicated. It's fucking weird for a lot of people. And I, for example... I will often continue working or just keeping things like just doing, you know, when I've had people pass away, I've said to whoever I'm working with, hey, this happened to me. I'm just telling you because I feel like I should tell you this happened. I don't know what to do. 
I'm going to keep working, but I want you to know if something comes up, it's this thing happened to me. And that's weird for certain people. I also, I don't like to worry and working keeps me from worrying. Or sometimes there's work that I actually enjoy doing this. And so I'm doing this thing I enjoy. And it, it sometimes is confusing to other people because this is actually keeping me zen and keeping me from concerning myself with things that I can't control. And for some people, that's off-putting. And so I just feel like, We have so many different ways personally, interpersonally, that we navigate grief and trauma that I think we should really stop trying to tell people what proper decorum is when it comes to their own personal grief. Now, Uh I think there are things that you can and should do when it comes to like navigating other people's grief, other people's trauma, like, you know, things you should do as a friend or a loved one or whatever. But like when it comes to that person's individual Grief and trauma, I think we really need to stop deciding and determining what people should do. Now, I mean, if she's, if people think she murdered him, that's a different story. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But that's not what happened. No. That's not what happened. What do you think? So this is Nene's um, quote to um, Mm -hmm. a popular internet um, platform. Because she went live the other day, um, I think yesterday. And she... Mm -hmm. um, she was like, I wish y'all just would leave me the fuck alone. I wish y'all would leave me mm-hmm. alone. And she quoted telling them, I will love Greg forever and ever. Grieving is hard, even harder, and depressing alone. Greg and I had a very tearful conversation before his passing. His words to me were, be happy, keep smiling, and who finds you, I want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. If whoever finds you has a good one. And so mm-hmm. for me... I totally feel that, you know, you, you, she, it wasn't like Greg just got in a car accident and passed away. They, they knew it was coming. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. of course they're going to have those kind of difficult conversations. And so, you know, I can see him having those kind of conversations because what you going to (laughs) do, you know? And so for me, I totally agree with everything you just said. I feel like there, there's a time and a space. There's a time limit for everybody to do certain things. And Mm -hmm. it's uh, queer walk recently just had an amazing episode about grief. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that money was talking about was you know everybody's time limit of going through these stages even if you want to think about the theory of state those stages is different and how people experience them sometimes it's simultaneous sometimes you're going through the denial sometimes you're going through the sadness sometimes you're going through the anger all these things can be coming at once or coming at one at a time and step by step Mm -hmm. however it works for you it's totally different and Mm -hmm. so I understand that but I also understand the idea of look you are a celebrity and there is an image that you uphold. And, and sometimes you like that image. Sometimes you like uh, when you're getting that attention, when you're trying to sell something, true. when you're trying to promote something, you like the attention that you get. But it comes, the, mm-hmm. the other side is it comes with, you know, negative attention or negative right. opinions about choices that you make. You got to be ready for them because that's that's mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, come into our... True. You come into our homes every Sunday <laughs> with your mm-hmm. business and with your team. Acting a fool yeah. Acting a lot of the time. Yeah. Ain't no, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you you mm-hmm. know, what's good for the, I don't want to say that. Um, I was about to say an old, old country ass saying. What's, what's good, good for, for the goose is good for the gander. gander. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's, so is a gander a, 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 boy. a group of geese? <laughs> yeah, it's boy and girl. Oh. <laughs> it's gender. <laughs> it's gender. Oh. But Let me more... tell you the amount of money and how many tests I would have failed if that was a question. 
I was like, a gander is a gaggle of geese. Okay. All right. Got it's so, gendered. Got it. Okay. So, but but I say that to, to say, like, look, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, that's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get the negative and the positive side of the experience of fame. And when you be in somebody else's business and mess and telling tea. When it comes to your business and mess and yeah, telling tea and having true. opinions about tea, they're gonna have that same um that same response. That's true. That's true. I guess I kind of wonder like there's a certain way, certain kind of people we dehumanize. And like mm-hmm. it's something about Nini, it's a few things about Nini that make people feel okay with dehumanizing her, I think. And I wonder, because I don't watch the show as much, like a lot of the like wild style shit that I've heard her do, I've heard on the blogs, you know what I'm saying? So like, I don't know if she really out here doing wild style shit, if it's really documented or what. And I think, I I guess I'm trying to figure out the mixture between like, are we dehumanizing her because she is this kind of like outrageous caricature of herself on her reality show and like is that okay like is it okay to i don't know i don't know i i of course it's not okay to dehumanize anyone but i guess like how much of that is based off of how you portray yourself or is that even in itself treating somebody or dehumanizing somebody or I I don't know if this is dehumanization or whatever, but critiquing them on this level, is it okay? Should it matter her personality and who she is? Should that determine the way in which people treat her? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it okay to do that to anybody? You're nodding, yes? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it is. We do it. Think of, take, you know, take it out of the Nene Leaks thing. Look at, okay. you know, she, well, first of all, she feeds that monster. She is documented in feeding True. these blogs, okay. feeding them with bits and pieces of information about other mm-hmm. people and right. about her own team. No disrespect to the blogs. Yeah. I bangs with the blogs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I be on a blog quietly. I be there reading and watching. <laughs> Yes. We will. I, mm-hmm. we, I love a hot cup of tea. I don't like drama, yes. but I love tea. Hello. <laughs> Especially if it's Hello. high piping. I am there quietly. I'm just not in the comments. <laughs> right. I definitely saw it. I saw it. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so in that regard, it's like, I don't know, like we, 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 other people's personality and what they do and their opinions and, and shit that they do wrong, we critique as well. And I don't know. And right. that's, that's from celebrity on down. That's just what mm-hmm. it is. I don't want to say it's wrong or if it's right, but if you are participating voluntarily in this whole circus, then yeah. this what come with this it for me. It. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's true. I agree. Well, good luck, girl. <laughs> you know, good luck. Be Your happy. Man is cute. He's cute. <laughs> you look cute. You know, hold hands, right? Maybe they're not even that close. Maybe she's just holding hands from the restaurant to the car. She had them high heels on. We don't know her life. Well, she done admitted it now. <laughs> oh well, but we, that. We, 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 I respect it though, because she could have easily said, "You know, you gonna be my boo on the low." You know, my husband is right. We got wait a year. And she could have did that, but she said, "What she said? I'm gonna do what I want to do." That. Live your life, Nene. Live your life. Facts. Live your motherfucking life. Okay, before we get into more silly, let's do a pay black woman, pay black people. Give me your fucking money. 
right. Our Pay Black Women, Pay Black People segment is a segment where we highlight Black and Indigenous-run businesses and initiatives. If you know a Black or Indigenous woman, a Black or Indigenous non-binary person, if you are a Black or Indigenous person impacted by misogynoir, running a business, leading an initiative, or just somebody who needs to make ends meet or go on a vacation, buy a new couch, Whatever, please send us your submissions to tea with Queen and Jay at gmail.com. Diamond, we have you here. Let's do you and your organization. Tell us about what you do. Tell us about what you're raising money for, where we can donate, all of that good oh, shit. So I am the executive director of Black Trans Women's Inc. It is a national nonprofit organization that is led by myself, a Black trans woman and a team of Black trans women. And we focus on um, social advocacy, defending lives, creating safe spaces and positive visibility, and building strong leadership among Black trans women advocates um, and allies. We host an annual empowerment conference um, with trans-specific programming to not only um, make trans people feel empowered, but also um, to teach and um, cultivate better relationships with trans people and their um, families and like parents and allies, sisters and brothers. Mm. We had, we literally have a whole track to, you know, cultivate that kind of relationship for people who come. One of the most amazing things is um, one of our conferences, a woman, we thought that she was, you know, one of us, quote unquote, and she was mm. actually, um, um, a trans teens parent and oh, she wow. was okay. learning and just sitting back learning and she ex- she revealed it later on later on mm. in the conference and it was amazing so that was a beautiful oh, wow. thing um we also have a bailout program here in texas we also are we have a um anti-violent task force so if there if you remember back during the george floyd um rebellion there was a trans woman who also went viral being attacked in a store by some cis men and cis women Mm -hmm. we actually like flew out and put her up and was taking and raised money for her and was put her in a much much safer situation once that happened and supported her being able to prosecute her her attackers and so we have an anti-violence program and last but not least we are currently fundraising to get um a shelter that is a forming here in texas because it's not a lot of actual infrastructure for trans people that is safe Mm -hmm. and affirming for people who are dealing with being unsheltered and so yeah that's what we do i love that so how can we donate how can we support where's the link what are we doing so you can go to www.blacktranswomen.org slash donate to donate there's tons of options and yeah that's how you give your money but also like support our programming um and you know contact me if you want me to you know show you what we do and see how you if you got skills that don't have anything to do with money and you want to incorporate it in our nonprofit, come let us Mm -hmm. know come let us know so we can um see how we can utilize your skills and your time and that's just as amazing as money Love that. Thank you, Diamond. We will put the link to blacktranswomeninc.org in the show notes so you can check it out and support Black Trans Women's Inc. I love that. Thank you, Diamond. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Let's throw somebody in the motherfucking pit. Diamond, are you ready? (laughs) Yes, ready. All right. (laughs) Who the fuck is this asshole? Say 
what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The pit is where we throw people who are trying to fuck with our black ass black joy. Or just like made us upset this week. <laughs> so, I, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be that intense. No. Diamond, who are we throwing in the pit? this week let me just say first because i'm already kind of told me and i was like yes let's do this we are gonna have a spoiler full conversation about this so there will be spoilers i'm gonna try and put timestamps in the show notes in case you want to pop back once we're done spoiling what we're about to spoil but we'll tell you before we spoil it all right diamond <laughs> what are we throwing in the pit this week we are throwing in the pit Lawrence, Team Lawrence, and niggas like Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> From Insecure, that's Insecure on HBO. Season five is wrapping up now. It's the final season of Insecure. We are waiting for the season finale, the series finale. So you're throwing Lawrence in the pit. Before we get to Lawrence, right? How have you found this season of Insecure? It's a lot of people saying this season is boring. Is people enjoying it? I've been enjoying the season. How do you feel about it? I, I like it. I enjoy the show. I think Issa's writing is brilliant. It it sparks conversation. I think. Right. I don't think writing needs to be perfect, but I think mm-hmm. it's brilliant when it sparks conversation and nuance in conversation. And I think she does mm-hmm. that. Do you feel like this season is sparking conversation? Because I know a lot of people, I feel like, are comparing it to the shocks of previous seasons. And I think throughout the history of the show, there have been a lot of oh my God moments. And I think there are maybe less of that this season. Do you think this season is as thought provoking and as conversation starting as the past seasons? I think so. But I think it builds off of what we have seen in the past season. This is the final season and it's wrapping up loose ends. They're trying to Mm -hmm. wrap up, you know, what all we have experienced. Look, even this particular episode, you know, Dro coming back and them having that awkward moment between Molly, Dro, and Torian. And, you know, mm-hmm. those things, like, they're trying to wrap up things in the past that and bring it, you know, bringing them things back. And so the shock is these awkward moments, I think, that right. we we are able to see. And I think that's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, like back in the day when Issa got nutted on her face, we didn't we right. didn't know that was coming, and then it started this whole mm. conversation on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> coming. <laughs> so, so that is what that's what happens, and so right. now we don't have though. I don't think this is about shock. Is in new things happening. The, the shock and is in the awkward moments that are happening. Mm-hmm. Her seeing Condola and and um I always call him Jay um Lawrence um in, mm-hmm. in the in the hospital with the baby. Those awkward right. moments that we weren't prepared prepared for, but still relevant mm-hmm. to wrapping up the show. I think that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Okay. Yeah. I've been enjoying it. To me it feels like a good, a well written show about nothing. Like they are wrapping things up. Everybody looks cute. They all look good. They're getting their happy on. I feel as somebody who's cared about these characters all of these years, all of these seasons, it feels good to see, oh, they're getting some happy. Oh, this this is being resolved. This is good. They're, they're where they want to be kind of vibe. So I've been enjoying it. What's the beef with Lawrence? So, you know, I my thing, you know, the whole big thing is him and Nathan getting the fight at the end of this episode. And, you know, mm-hmm. Issa's breaking it up and it's just this big old thing. And so, and it's because right here at this moment, Lawrence is 
kind of desperately professing his love and how he wanted to make it work with Issa while she has moved on and he had apparently moved on, but clearly has not. And I was so annoyed by that. And part of my, part also part of my lived experience, but just mm-hmm. hearing him say that I was so annoyed by him because in my mind, what I don't like about him is that this whole all seasons, his actions, his actions are always motivated. He needs other people's to say it or other people to do something to put him into a proactive mode, even right from the beginning, season one. He was a fucking bum sitting around right. mooching off of fucking Issa. Yes, that was her man. And it and no, this does not absolve her from the wrongdoing that she did because infidelity is infidelity. But that's when, oh, he gets mad and want to go get a damn job and work on his dream. And he, it, something had to motivate him. And then right here we are in this last season, season five, one of the most toxic niggas in the show, Chad, says something to you that that tweaks in your brain to say something to Issa yeah. and you're late this should have happened season a season ago you should have done mm-hmm. this before but I just I, it's I don't like people like him that are not proactive in making shit happen and being upfront about what they want up and making it happen I don't like it I hate it because that's the problem yeah. and it leaves us hanging your people who date men or date people like this mm-hmm. it leaves us hanging because we don't have any choice but to be proactive in in a lot of situations we have to be proactive in saying like what is this like what we're usually the one asking like what are we doing is this we're together or why y'all being nonchalant about it and so while you was being nonchalant i was out here trying to figure it out and maybe i was wrong maybe i was right about about where we are but yeah here goes the consequences and so i hate people like lawrence because they want to blame everybody else but you were being inactive you were being reactive instead of proactive about securing what the dream you want in life and if i was a part of that you should have been active about it instead of just going with right. the flow that's what they be doing though they do <laughs> it's such a common occurrence that's what they be doing until it looks like it's too late then they're like oh oh wait wait yeah yeah i think it's like a safety net it's like a yeah. safety net like oh i can wiggle out of this but we was just chilling if it gets too mm-hmm. serious if you be, stay nonchalant for a certain amount of time you can be like oh well you know we was just, i thought we was just enjoying what we was doing soon as somebody mm-hmm. tries to make it official and you don't want it to be official you want to, you can say, you can wiggle out of it and say, oh, it's getting too serious. I thought we was enjoying right. what we was having. It was, it gives them room to be, to wiggle out of a commitment. Yeah. It feels very common. It's very rare. I'm trying to think of my experiences with men. It feels very rare to be with somebody who is like mad clear about like what they want and like where they want to be and who they want to be with or whatever. I will say like the times that I did encounter people who were very clear about what they wanted and like wanting to be with me, wanting to spend time with me. I feel like sometimes it felt, sometimes it ended up being too premature, but it was such a like refreshing thing to come across somebody who was clear about, no, I want to be with you. I want to explore this. This is what I want to do definitively versus like, yeah, I want to treat you like you're my girlfriend, of course, but you're not my girlfriend. Like, you're not like, we're not a thing, but I'm going to just treat you like 
we're an absolute thing and you better think like we're a thing except we're not a thing. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Like to the point where honestly, I don't even care if we're a thing or not. I really don't. Like I really am at the stage. I just, I don't care if we're a thing. Like just treat me, treat me right. Like I have, the, for me, a part of treating me right, like I've removed, are we a thing? Are we not a thing? From the requirements for treating me right you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. as long as you treated me right i don't care what you decide you want to call this i know what it is like i don't i don't care i don't mm-hmm. care i'm different i need mm-hmm. um th- there's are we a thing or are we not a thing determines the rules of engagement for me right. and so i'm not into um, um, non-monogamy. I'm into a mon- I'm into mm-hmm. the monogamous situation, and mm-hmm. so if we, when I'm not, when we're not a thing, we do what we want. But when we right. are a thing, then we understand that this is a committed thing, and um, I'm not mm-hmm. looking for an open relationship. And so I need to know if we are a thing. If we're not, then yeah, I'm not gonna. If I see you out to dinner or I see you somewhere, mm-hmm. I'm not tripping because we're not a thing. And so I'm not gonna confront you about anything like that. But, but if we are a thing, then that uh, that allows me to, okay, I'm going to be proactive and say, these are the rules of us being a thing. Right. Before we make right. it official, this is what I expect from our thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it just, I like, I like to be clear. Sure. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. to be clear because it's too many, it's too many variables that come when you're not clear. And mm-hmm. they try to act like, well, we didn't talk about this when, when you when you make these assumptions, I thought this is what we were doing. And then when you play on those assumptions, they say, well, we didn't say that, but well, we didn't talk about that. So I make sure that I talk about this is what I'm expecting when we become a right. thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. I don't, even... <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I just that old God give me strength i just i don't need it so do you want her to tell lawrence to go fuck himself because if it seemed like she'd been thinking about lawrence he has been on the brain she did call and reach out to him like how do you feel about like should she should she be single should she hang in there with nathan should she should they be moving in together should she see what lawrence is talking about like what would you do in this scenario or what do you think Issa should do there is a lot of unclean slate with Lawrence, and I don't feel yeah. like she should fuck with it. Unclean mm-hmm. slate that she has caused and unclean slate that he has caused. Like, yo, you're the one that did the infidelity stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to always be on the cross about that. But he also do got a baby now. That's a whole different scenario yeah. that for me would be, you know, I don't know if I want to deal with that with Condola. Mm-hmm. And, and Condola already is kind of... I don't know. She kind of be off on some shit to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I feel like that could burst into a whole different set of problems. And so mm-hmm. I just feel like you got a whole clean slate, relatively clean slate with Nathan. And so, and I feel like Nathan is, seems to be more mature about navigating his own issues, particularly around mental health, particularly around be- saying what he wants from Issa. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just feel like he's just a little bit better at it than Lawrence, but I'm somebody who also feels like I love people forever. So there are people who mm-hmm. I am not currently in love with, with, right. but you know, when I'm fresh out of a situation, of course I'm thinking about you and we get to be in Issa's head. And so, yes, mm-hmm. of course I'm thinking about these situations, but that don't mean it's the right decision. Yeah. That's a part of the healing. 
Ain't that a part of the healing? Healing? What's that? What do you <laughs> think about the way that Nathan argues with Issa, though? He's a little bit annoying to me. Also, give me an example. Like, I feel like Nathan will shut down. Like, he shuts down when it, when it comes to, like, an argument or something that... Like, that little argument they had at his apartment. He apologized eventually. He came around. But it just seemed like there's a pattern with the way that he navigates conflict. Like, I don't know. They're all, this one's all over the place. I don't know. I don't know. Like, very, like, I don't know what that's about kind of thing. I don't know. He seemed aggy to me. The difference between him and Lawrence is... Lawrence will go and do some fucked up shit. Mm. Lawrence will, if, if the miscommunication will turn him to into him dealing with a, you know, a whole different, being in a threesome with some white girls or, right, <laughs> or, right, or right. doing something One of them silly. was Asian. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm <Yes>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> They're getting kind of gray areas. <laughs> right, right, right. But in, in my mind, I don't see Nathan going and doing stuff based on their mishap. Yes, these I might have difficulties, like we all do at some point, in mm-hmm. expressing this certain situation. But I'm not. T- I just need a break to go think about it and come back yeah. and we talk. And it always right. seems like they come back and talk about it. But he don't just. It don't. I'm taking a break and I'm mad and I'm going to fuck bitches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it don't feel like. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he goes and does that. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? It does. It it's does. Difficult. I really, it's hard. I would really like to see her and Lawrence together, but I, you you bring up some good points. I just feel like okay. So like my question is, if she, yeah, I don't know. Like if you let Nathan go, how much are you gonna miss Nathan? Are you gonna miss Nathan as much as you miss Lawrence right now? I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like I'm also a like. I might blow up my life to like chase a feeling kind of person. And I don't think rebounds, I don't think rebound niggas are off limits. I think they can grow into Mm -hmm. something beautiful. The problem is people think that, oh, because you are rebound, that this old person is going to destroy what I have. I just, I'm Mm -hmm. just working through it at the same time that I'm trying to make us grow. And that can grow into something powerful. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. do I think she loves Lawrence more? Sure, absolutely. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean she can't get to an even better place with Nathan. Right. I think in, in, in regards to personality, I think that Nathan is better for Issa because Issa and, and Lawrence about their communication is kind of too similar. Because Issa is all over the place, too. And she will go do some fucked up shit just because she mad about something and didn't communicate right. it well. And Lawrence is the same exact way. So that that is a volatile. Both of them where we might, you know, romantically, I might like them together. But both of their, I haven't seen growth in either one of them. Like, I see, I see a little bit, but not, mm. hold on, just a little bit in their communication, but not to the point where that won't be an issue for them anymore if they get back together. Mm-hmm. They still being kind of mm, weird about their communications about things. You look at look at this at this season with Issa and Nathan. If Nathan didn't have the practice of that he has with his mental health, if he didn't mm-hmm. have that, there comes a maturity that he has and an advantage that he can teach. Issa, how we can navigate navigate these conversations. Mm. I think he's a better communicator with Issa than Lawrence. I think Lawrence and Issa have the same problem. Interesting. 
Okay. I feel like I've been watching it. Maybe I've been watching it with real biased eyes because I really, I really fucks with Lawrence. I really fucks with Lawrence. I think I am, I am, dare I say, Team Lawrence. Like, not Team Lawrence in the leave your fucking janky ass fucking Best Buy shirt in the fucking cupboard, as I like to call it, even though it was a closet. Not that, not that Team Lawrence, but just like I do think that he is a like nice thoughtful person and i would like to see them together and i think i know that nathan is trying to establish that he is a consistent person that he can be consistent that he can be there but something about him still feels very much like like i might leave and go back to houston i might you know what i'm saying like it seems like he is willing to dip when things don't seem like they're going right You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that makes me, as a person who really craves a certain kind of stability or at least communication around things, like the way he communicated that, it just seemed very flighty. Like I know now him and Issa are moving in together, but what's to say that three months from now he's not like, oh yeah, I'm still thinking about moving or like it just feels so unsettling to me, you know? I don't know. Makes sense. And he looks like I would win in a fight with him. It looks like me and him would fight and I, I might win. And I don't like that that thought of that. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I don't like to feel like I could take my partner out. I don't like same, that feeling. Same. You know? But I wouldn't we have been with probably, him in the first place. I think we should discuss that in therapy with our therapist. Because <laughs> I, I do feel rooted like in stuff that we need to discuss. Yeah, on. it's definitely rooted in, it's definitely problematic. It's sizes, it's transphobic, it's all of that. We need it's to work on that. Yeah, you and I, we don't need to be teaming up on, on that shit. But <laughs> definitely, I'm like, this tiny ass nigga, I will wax, I'll mop the floor with you. That I honestly think that has <laughs> yes. Blue eyes. Still. Do it? Yes. No. I will wrestle you like no. Stop it. Stop. It's it. problematic. We ain't gonna do it. It's totally problematic. Totally problematic. And I do think that it feeds into a part of like my feelings about this whole the dynamic and how I view Nathan. Like I think he's cool. I would love to like have drinks with him, hang out with him, or whatever. But yeah, my head is like I could fight you. Like I don't want to date somebody that I could fight. But yeah, that's, that's problematic. <laughs> Definitely problematic. Definitely problem. And Lauren's been looking all good this season. My analysis everybody, is very basic. Everybody, <laughs> everybody looking all good. Molly looking yeah. fine. I might want to be a lesbian because honey, her hello, this, her in this black and white dress was looking so. She looked cute. amazing. Ooh, she was. I am so obsessed fine. with Torian right now. Fine I too. love That's that whole teeth. dynamic. I just yes. lick his teeth. He became cute all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? That he's, was a cute moment too. When she yes. when she spilled the tea right in front of him, and he was like, oh, yes. "That makes oh, sense." Okay, <laughs> so cute, so cute. I'm like, all right, y'all belong together. Y'all belong together. Yeah. What do you think about this conversation with Kelly? Like they, you know, Kelly is being really vocal. It's over now. Mm-hmm. So she was like, "I I don't want the shoulder of being representation of all plus size women." Right. And I, I get that, but I also under I also in my mind I'm like, but that's kind of not what for me, not what people are talking about. I feel like mm-hmm. they I feel like the people who are 
have an issue with um, Kelly's storyline is the fact that there is not enough tenderness being shown in the plus size storyline as it is shown in Mm. like, you know, like in the male storylines. What do you think? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Kelly versus the male storylines being treated more tenderly. Do we even know enough about Kelly and what she'd be up to for there to be a tenderness kind of applied to her? You know what I'm saying? I don't. Yeah, I guess that's That's right, right, right. Yeah, I guess when I think about it at this stage, right? So we're in season five. I have had feelings about Kelly's character in the past, right? And that, yeah, there were different things that I felt like she was being used too much as like the comic relief. And I felt like sometimes her body played a role in that, of course. The fat, funny homegirl. Yes, yes. And I feel like now that we're in season five and I reflect on the story, like we had, there was a postpartum depression storyline that we got with Tiffany. You know, Molly, of course, is a main character. We get a storyline. Issa, of course, you know, we see what's going on with Nathan and Lawrence. The other guys, not so much. Who is Kelly's family? We we know tons of stuff about Tiffany's family, like that whole right, house is hers. Right, we know right. I know more about Tiffany's history than I know about Kelly's. I know more about shit Daniel's history than I know about Kelly's. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. feels like I don't know, like who are like we know. Don't count Molly because she a main character. So let's take Tiffany. Uh, Tiffany's husband. Like it's so many things. Who is mm-hmm. Kelly's? family who is her brothers who is her cousins who is her people like what i don't know anything about what kelly came from and so i have a problem with that yeah i think for me this season i decided to kind of put that aside because i i have found her to be i'm gonna have to watch the whole series again it's kind of what i decided i was gonna do anyway sagey oh she has been a little bit sagey but also i have found her to be funnier this season you know, like, I feel like her jokes, I feel like they hit harder. I feel like, what did she say? Like, different. Like, I feel like we are getting more a little her. bit more of her. Yeah, I feel like we are getting more Kelly. It's just not going that deep. And I don't know if that is right or wrong, but I do like that we got more. I do like that we're getting more funny. I do like that, like, the neighbor thinks she's a bad influence on her kid. And it's just like, why does she have, why does she be hanging out with the neighbor? Like, what? What is that even about? Like, look, I think we've had a lot of moments like that with Kelly. And so I think the volume being turned up on the funny for me in in ways that did not have to do with her size. Like, I really didn't like when she was tased. I didn't like that at all for a number of reasons. We're yeah. already, we're injecting, you know, the cops in this in a weird way. That whole, that tasing thing, that really bothered me. Yes. So I didn't like that. And I feel like this season, it feels like there is less emphasis on her being like this, a sexual being kind of in ways that she yes. would talk about sex before. And so I like that those things have been turned down and yet the funny is still being like funny, like there's more funny. So for me, I guess in my mind, it has kind of balanced out some of what I think was problematic for me in past seasons. I didn't grow up being a plus size person. So my opinions on this are from that perspective. And yeah, and so her character and her portrayal and the lack of depth, it did bother me before, but I like how they have turned up There's more of her with less of 
the, you know, fat jokes or which weren't fat jokes, but it's still to me like that whole tasing shit played on her size. And, you know, I'm a big girl, but I'm sexy. That kind of trope was also kind of like rubbing me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? That's what, do you what think it is about it. That is, she's being more sagey to me and still mm-hmm. it's still no. And death. that's its own trope. That's its own trope for. Right. The, I don't know. It just feels sagey. Mm. It feels uh, kind of going into the asexual side. Um, uh, still being a tool. Mm. Still being a tool. Like it's no okay. middle. It's no middle ground. It's like still both of those things. I don't know. And maybe I'm just being too woke for my own good. But it just mm-hmm. felt. I just. I. I was not. Um, I was not um, impressed by the storytelling in regards to Kelly. And I don't expect her as a character, as a person to represent all plus size women, but mm-hmm. I do, I would, I would expect it more, more depth from her story. I just wanted more, even if it was, you know, just like at once. Cause you know, we just got that one postpartum scene with Tiffany. I, mm-hmm. At least we could have at least got one. Uh, even even right. that the tasing situation that could have been done in such a brilliant way. I don't know. I just wanted it to be more. But right. now we have her as a sage, a, a recovering alcoholic that is, you know, that, oh, she mm-hmm. just so happened to have these skills to help Molly, the lawyer, with her parents' will. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of, I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was, I don't know. It just feels weird. It just, it just feels right. like it wasn't taken as seriously as the other people, as the other mm-hmm. characters. So... How do you feel? Okay, now maybe I'm just throwing shit out there, but like I'm thinking of like, okay, Chad, Derek, like we haven't explored. Well, I guess Derek was kind of involved in Tiffany's postpartum depression storyline a bit. Chad is there for pure jokes, as far as I'm concerned. Like, is it criminal to have one of the friend characters be there for just jokes? But I guess the criminal part comes in. It's like, why is it Kelly? That is the just the jokes character, especially particularly this season. Y'all mm. are really focused on these friendship between these four. It's not right. friendship between based on what they did, particularly last episode. It wasn't just mm. a Molly and Issa. It was Molly, Issa, Kelly, and Tiffany. That y'all are, right, y'all are right, centering right. these four people's relationship as friends and making mm-hmm. that even more important than some of the man relationships on a certain level. Mm-hmm. Y'all are focused on these. So if it was just, oh, we're focused on Mala and Isis friendship, yeah. cool. And then everybody else is just kind of extras. Then I could see that. But that's not what y'all have been doing. Y'all have made us fall in love with this friendship. Yes, Issa and Molly, the main characters, but Tiffany and Kelly are also a part of that support system and that friend group as well. And so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect the same thing from a Chad. I wouldn't expect the same thing from, you know, everybody else um, because we are, y'all are centering the four. Right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I would have wanted in the seasons, in these five seasons, something more about Kelly. And I just didn't Mm -hmm. get it. I just didn't get it. No, I feel you. Right. I feel you. I feel you. That's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Did you watch, I forget the name. What's her name? Natasha. Roswell. Yes. Yes. Did you watch her in White Lotus? No, I've never seen that. HBO? I've never seen it. Yeah. She, that's an interesting show or whatever. I enjoyed it. It was fine (laughs) enough. It was something to watch, but she's in that show. 
And there's a little bit, she plays it more serious. There is humor. It's like a dramatic comedy, maybe. There is humor in that show, mm. but it's not like a funny show. And she does an excellent job, but it's a different kind of show. Mm. Yeah, I never seen that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's even a. It's not. Maybe it's not a larger role. It's just a different, more dramatic role. But yeah, but no, those are good points. Anything else we want to bring up regarding Insecure as it wraps up, as it closes out, as a whole? I think this was a brilliant, amazing show that showcased us beautifully. The music, the fashion, the you know, just dark skinned black people just looking love and Mm. and. You know, sparking conversations. I love shows. It don't have to be perfect, but I love shows that excites that that's exciting to talk about that everybody's mm-hmm. gonna be on different sides of the fence it's not it's nothing that's cut and dry that's when you know you got some great writers and you have created something beautiful and i think isa is amazing at that yeah definitely no i love it i love it i think this show is a part of a few black shows that kind of taught me gave me a different I think I look at black art through a wider lens now and honestly over the five years I think that we've gotten more black art and more black works to look at so maybe I feel differently partially because of that progression but I think it was a part of it's a part of this canon of black art that has allowed me to look at black art through a wider lens and accept that everything is not going to speak directly to me and that we are not a fucking monolith so they're going to do some shit and I'll be like what black women do that shit like the whole thing with the given head episode and i was like what in the archaic conversation is this <laughs> and i was talking to one of my homegirls who's from new york but lives down south and she was like yeah these are conversations that bitches are actually having these conversations and good for them good. you know what i'm saying they deserve <laughs> to have that in the storyline like everybody mm-hmm. is not gonna be a woman's race nerd from the bronx get over yourself so <laughs> i would say the run of this show as something that I have enjoyed from beginning to end and I think been more critical of in the earlier seasons, like it has been one of those black shows that has taught me to like calm the fuck down a little bit. Like there are things, there are things to enjoy, even if it does not speak to my specific intersection of blackness. You know what I'm saying? So as women of particular ages, me, mm-hmm. how I feel like this show is, is going to be talked about 30, 40 years from now in the same way I we agree. talk about In Living Color, in the same way we mm. talk about Martin, and none of these are comedies, but, you know, different dramas as well. Yeah. When we think about Living yeah. Single, girlfriends, think about Girlfriends, like, yeah. th- mm-hmm. this is one of those shows that culturally Black people will be talking about, particularly of, you know, this Gen Z mm-hmm. uh, um, generation. They are going to be talking about this years to come right. in the same way we did. Mm-hmm. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm fucking excited, yo. I'm going to watch the whole thing again. Like, I really... And it's so different from the first season. When you look at just Issa's transformation and, like, the marketing, how different the marketing was for every season. It's just such a different show that kind of grew with the times in which it was on. You know what I'm saying? So... Hey. Yeah, no, I love that shit. I love it. I'm thankful for it, yo. Cheers, libations to all of them. And I do hope to see... Like, there are other shows that are going to stand on the shoulders of Insecure. You know what I'm saying? And so we will, I think we will see better written characters of all of these intersections and representations. Interesting. This was good. Thank you, Diamond. 
Thank you for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> I knew it was going to be fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us again where we can find you on the social medias and everything you want us to know. Yeah. So you can find me on my own podcast, Marsha's Plate Podcast. We're on all platforms. Marsha is in Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha's Plate is in the plate of food. And you can find me on all platforms as Diamond Styles, D-I-A-M-O-N-D-S-T-Y-L-Z is in Zebra. And yeah, you can hit me up and you know, we can talk and follow me, see what the fuck I'm doing. Ow, 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 ow. And Diamond is a very fun follow. <laughs> it's always something going on over there. All the time. <laughs> Be sure to follow Tea with Queen and Jay on all the social medias. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Tea with QJ. We are on Facebook and Tumblr, Tea with Queen and Jay. You can check out our website, Tea with Queen and Jay.com. And as always, you can send us your tea mail at Tea with Queen and Jay at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jenny Cia F. That's J A N I C I A F. The last F is for savings. It's I'm back. saying that again now. Yeah. It's back. <laughs> Eight people said they like it. And so now it's back. That's it. That's all it takes. All Legacy. It takes. Yeah. That's it. We're done. Right? Yeah. We're yeah. fucking done. This podcast was created, hosted, and produced by a black girl named Janicia. A black girl named Diamond is helping me host Ow. this episode. Thank you so much. Al. My co-creator and producer and host, Naima. With editorial support from a black girl named Candice, production and social media support from a black girl named Chanel, and graphic design from a black girl named Joe. Ow. It's Tea with Queen and Jay. We turn up responsibly. Ow. Well, I, I want to be clear that I don't, I'm not into being feminist, the I am feminist. I am interested in the active practice of a politics that we name as feminism. That is not an identity. And I think that what has taken us in many wrong directions has been the notion of feminism as an identity. Um, as women can be feminist, men cannot, or all of that, rather than the question is, what is your politics? Uh, as it relates to feminism, what is your active practice in your life that is working against patriarchy, sexism, sexist exploitation and oppression? Because we know, you know, we are in the name yourself anything <laughs> generation. And so what do these names mean? It's what my therapist always tells me. Don't listen to what people say. Look at what they do. So that to me, that field of feminist politics is the field of action of what you do.